last cookie on the table kind of thing. If you consider Christ Church your home and you're coming back and you've not gotten a scripture journal, there's one. And if it goes away, I'll buy more. So by not being selfish and not taking that, you're depleting, all, or re, not letting the rest of us get them. So somebody's got to take the last cookie. Right, so somebody take it today. So we're in the book of 1 Thessalonians. And the theme that uh, we see in this letter is simply this. It is living with Jesus while waiting for Jesus. Living with or living for Jesus while we wait for his return. And we've been looking at relationships and how we can live in God or gospel-centered relationships while we wait for Jesus' return. Well, this morning, Paul kind of turns a corner in his letter, and we're going to learn of another way that we can live for Jesus while we wait for Jesus. So even as Elspeth reads, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 2, be looking out for ways that you could be living for Jesus while waiting for Jesus in light of these verses. So she's just going to read verses 13 all the way through the end of the chapter. So let's follow along as she reads. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 20. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. This is the word of the Lord. What do you believe about this book. What difference does this book make in your daily life? It's a pretty unique book, right? Written over 1,500 years on three continents, 40 different authors, most of them who didn't know one another, in three different languages. Yet somehow it's woven together in this tapestry of beautiful grace as redemptive history unfolds before our eyes. But what do you really believe this morning about this book? Do you believe that it is breathed out by God himself into the hearts and minds of men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit? Do you believe it's profitable, beneficial, beneficial for teaching so that you can hear it, beneficial for reproof, even for being corrected sometimes? Do you believe it benefits you in training you to live the way God created humans to live, in righteousness, so that you can be complete, whole, 
victorious, able to do all the good works that God has called you to do? Do you believe this book is living, that it's alive, that it's active, sharp? Sharp as a knife, able to cut into your mind and into your heart in such a way that when you read it, you go, oh, that's what's happening in my soul. That's why I'm thinking like I'm thinking. That's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling about my situation. Do you believe that the person who meditates on this book is like a tree? It's like a tree in the middle of a hot summer day, but it's planted down by the riverbank where the river is fed by streams and by brooks, and it's cool, and it replenishes the tree so that it survives and produces abundant fruit. Do you believe that the realities in this book can revive your soul? They can make you wise when you're not. They can give you joy when life is difficult. They can enlighten your eyes to see things in a way you've never seen them before. In fact, change your whole reality of the world. Do you believe that this book is to be more desired than all the money in the world? Do you believe that blessings flow to people who read this book, meditate on this book, rejoice in this book? Do you believe that this book points to and reveals the glories of the Trinity? Things you wouldn't know about God otherwise are in this book. The glories of the Father are in this book. As he tells us how he sends his Son to redeem you from your sins. The, the glory of the Son who comes and dies and rises from the dead so you can be redeemed. This book tells us about the power of the Spirit that takes the work of the Father and the Son and applies it to your life and sets you free, making you born again. This book does a lot. Do you believe that here in this book, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you can behold the glories of Christ in such a way that you find joy, hope, peace, and a satisfaction that will actually transform you into the very image of God. What do you believe about this book? Perhaps more importantly, does your daily interaction with this book support or contradict what you say you believe about this book? Does the priority this book takes, the time that you give meditating to it and on it and applying it, does it reflect what you say you believe? Or does it negate what you say you believe? You know, it's one thing to say, oh, I declare that this book is the living word of God. But it's yet another thing to run to it in desperation because you've got to have God. <laughs> because you need him. You want to encounter him. So... Does what you say you believe about this book line up with your regular experience in this book? Well, evidently, Paul is really, really thankful for this church in Thessalonica because what they say about this book lines up with how they live the book. How they received it lines up with how his word works in their hearts. Look at verse 13 with me. Here's what Paul says. Notice the two activities of the word of God in their lives. And we also thank God constantly for this. 
What is Paul and Timothy, Silas, continually, Silvanus, sorry, continually thanking God for? That when you received the word, I would circle that, received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. So they received it and they accepted it. Those are synonymous terms. Not as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God, which is at work. Circle the word work. It's at work. It is at work in you believers. So two things happened in these believers' lives that has Paul very thankful. They received the word and they let the word work. They accepted the word and the word was working in their lives. And so this morning we're going to look at those two things. What does it look like for you to receive the word? And what does it look like for you to let the word work in your lives? So I think we could sum up this passage. We could sum up this section this way. That living with or for Jesus through the word while waiting for Jesus. We get to live with and for Jesus through the word of God while we wait for Jesus' return. And so two little points. The receiving of the word and the working of the word. The receiving of the word and the working of the word. So number one, the word received. The word received. Now we read this. He talks about the word of God. We need to ask ourselves, what is Paul referring to when he says the word of God? What does he mean by the word of God? Well, he says it's the word that you received when he preached it to them. And you all know, because you remember what happened over a month ago, no, <laughs> I didn't either, that he tells us what happened in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's when he goes and he preaches the word to them. And so let's see in the book of Acts if we can figure out what does Paul mean here by the word in, verses, in verse 13. So Acts 17, it says this. Now, when they had passed through Amphilopus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So now they're in the place that this letter is being written where there was a synagogue of the Jews. They, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath, Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So from the Scriptures there is lining up with what it says in 1 Thessalonians when it says the Word of God. So when he says here, from the Scriptures, somebody tell me, what is he referring to? Old Testament. Does anybody disagree? He's referring to the Old Testament, right? New Testament hasn't been written yet, so he's referring definitely back to the Old Testament. And here's what he does. He explains to them and proves to them that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. So he, he draws their attention. Now, wouldn't you love to be there when he went back to Genesis to see how much of a better job he did than me connecting the dots to Jesus from Genesis? I mean, he did that. He walked them through different Old Testament stories and connected them to Christ to show them that Jesus had to suffer and rise from the dead. And the conclusion being drawn that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you, he's the Christ, the Messiah, the one who came to set us free from our sins and to set us up for eternity with God. And so he preaches this to them. He, he draws their attention to these Old Testament pictures and foreshadows of Christ. And then it says, as a result, that they received it. They received it. They accepted it. And so the key here is what they accepted 
as the key thing. In other words, what? But what did they receive? What was key? And I think the key phrase here is the repeated phrase, the word of God. They didn't just receive the scriptures. They received it as the word of God. And then he contrasts that with not the word of man, but actually as what it really is, the word of God. So it's not just receiving it. Oh, it's good stories. Yep, thanks, Paul. No, they received it. They said, this is God's words to us. And they received that and believe it. And this is the game changer. How do you receive the word of God? Do you receive it as God's words to you? Or do you receive them as man's words to you? Do we see this book as God's words or as man's words? I mean, if they're man's words, then I'm not going to put a whole lot of value in them, at least not long term. I mean, it's got to have some mistakes because I don't know anybody that writes flawlessly or records history flawlessly. Everybody has different human experiences that feed into it, so certainly their human experience is going to taint what they write. Man has different opinions and different, op- different uh, options of ways to interpret things, which means, for me anyway, it'd be very appropriate for me to approach this book and to deconstruct it and rewrite it in ways that make me feel more comfortable. But if it's God's words, oh, then it's authoritative. In other words, it has the final say. If it's God's words, it's inerrant. There are no mistakes in here that make us go, oh, maybe this isn't true anymore. If this is God's word, it's clear, meaning anyone who comes to it in humility to obey it will understand it. It's also necessary, meaning you can know everything you need to know about God in this book. And if you're going to know and walk with God, then you've got to have this book. If it is God's word, then it's sufficient. It has everything within it to tell us how to live with and for God in this life, and the one to come. So I ask you this morning, as you receive the word, do you see it more as man's word, or do you see it as God's words? This past week, I got a certified letter. First one I think I've ever gotten. Pretty exciting moment. Mailman comes down the driveway, hands it to me, I have to sign for it, give a prick of blood, whatever it was you got to do to get your... So I'm wondering, anticipating, whoa, you know, this, is, this must be really important. So I open it up. The paper in the font itself tells me something is not quite right. Dear sir or madam, <laughs> we know where this sketchy is going. This is to notify you that the below described vehicle is considered abandoned and an application of the Uh, Disposal of vehicle law in the state of Maryland, our official records indicate that you are the owner of this registered vehicle. In order to reclaim the motor vehicle, you must notify the agency of your intentions within three weeks from this. Failure to proceed to reclaim your vehicle with a specified period will constitute a waiver of interest in the vehicle and it will be disposed of. The vehicle is a 2004 Nissan. I've never owned a 2004 (laughs) Nissan in my life. So I received this certified mail. Important, no mistakes, inerrant. But 
it actually was all messed up. The facts weren't right. It was unclear. It was filled with errors. Once again, I'm using a negative illustration to make a positive point. That is never going to happen with this certified letter. You've got a certified letter from God, and it came to you. And you can read it over and over and over again. And at no point are you going to go, oh, wait, that's wrong. If you see something you think is wrong, guess who's really wrong? I love following some of the things that scientists discover, and even archaeologists on Earth stuff. It's still happening, where they realize there's things that are happening uh, that line right up. They, they unearth something. Oh, wow, look, that's just like what it says in the Bible. <laughs> so don't be discouraged. This is God's certified letter to us that is for your benefit. And it's very different from any other letter, certified or not, that you will ever receive in the mail. And I want you to notice those two words that I had you look at, received and accepted. Because those are key words. They received it as God's word. They accepted it as God's word. The, the word received there is actually, they made it their companion. They took it and they brought it close to them like you would a companion. It actually means to join to yourself. So they joined the word of God to themselves as if it was the very word of God. They accepted it. They took hold of it. They believed that it was a good word because it came from a good God. They believed it was infallible because they believe God is infallible. So they received it as God's very words to them. So I would love to encourage us this morning because I think it's God's desire to not just to think of this as a book, ink on a page, but to receive it as God's very heart to you. It's God unveiling his heart to you in flawless ways so that you can know him and walk with him as you wait for Jesus to return. So I just want to stop here and just make a little suggestion because I know there could be people here that you're not quite sure what you believe about God's word. You might say, I don't know, maybe it's man's word too. Maybe it's more man than God. I really don't know. So here's my encouragement to you if you are not sure. I want to encourage you to read it. And I want to encourage you, it, it, can, be, it can be hard to figure out where to start, right? So, so ask somebody to help you. We'll help you figure out where to start. But I want to encourage you to read it. And then as you read it, to ask God to open your mind, to open your heart, to see wonderful things out of his word. Which is something we all should pray anyway, right? <laughs> we come to God's word, we pray a psalm. God, open my eyes, help me see what's in this thing. And then as you read it, Read it as if it really is God's word. In other words, read it as if it really is. Even live it as if it were really true. In other words, take it for a test drive. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have read diet books. It's kind of like if, if, if Tyler read a diet book, and he's like, this diet just doesn't work. And I was like, really? How long did you stay on the diet? Oh, I didn't stay on it at all. I just read the book. It's similar to that. Don't just read it. Read it, assume it's God's word, and then live, think, believe what it says, and then watch to see what God does. Watch. Watch to see what he does in your life. So this leads right into the second point, and that is the working of the word. Having the word work in our lives. How does the word of God work in us? Notice what he said in verse 13. You accepted it not as the word of man, but as it really is, 
the word of God, which is at work in you believers. It was at work in them. It was accomplishing something in them. It was changing them. It was doing things in their hearts. See, taking in God's word is not necessarily the aim. Studying and reading is even not the aim. That's not the goal. The goal is that God's word with the power of the spirit would work in you. It would do something in you. I love it when Elspeth makes our homemade stromboli and she takes the, the bowl with some warm water and puts the yeast in it. And you watch it start to activate. I love hot pretzel Sunday where the kids make me hot pretzels and you watch the dough activate. The word of God is meant to get in us and work. It's to activate. It's to do and accomplish things. And so what are the things that it's meant to accomplish? Well, that all depends on where you're reading in God's word. And it all depends on what God wants to accomplish in your heart on that given day. But there are some hints in Scripture of things to look for. You ever wonder, what am I looking for? What, should I, what kind of activity should I want to see here? How, how do I read this in a way so that at the end I get hot pretzels? How do I get out of it what it is I'm, I want to get out of it? What does God want me to get out? So here, here are some samples for you. I hinted at them at the beginning of our time together. We can go to multiple places. But you should be on the lookout for your soul feeling revived. So, so you feel a little dead depressed, discouraged, you should come to it watching, eyes open, this might revive my soul today. This might get me through the day. This might just get me through the next hour. But look for it to revive your soul. Look for it to give you wisdom. In places maybe where you don't know what to do, be on, be, be on the lookout for something that might be wise. It could be there this, in that, that day just to rejoice your heart. To bring you joy. Maybe life's been hard and you need a little dose of joy. Maybe it'll give you a lot of joy, but be on the lookout for something that will give you joy or, or something that will enlighten your eyes. Something that'll change your worldview. You're seeing something one way and then you get into God's word and you go, oh, I see it different now. Now I'm seeing it a whole new way than I was seeing it before. All those are just from Psalm 19 if you want to read it. Psalm 119 talks about being blessed. There's a blessing meditating on, taking in, encountering God through his word. There's blessing there. You can't always put your finger on the blessing, but you should go to God's word on the lookout for blessing. Psalm 1 is all about the tree by the river. Blessed is the, the man or the woman who, who meditates on and takes in the word of God because it produces fruit in your life. So I'd encourage you as you read it, be on the lookout for some kind of fruit to be stirring in your heart. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, something stirring in your soul as you read God's word. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to put that on the screen. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read this, probably familiar to some of you, that the word of God is living and active. So as, as you come to God's word and you want it to work in your life, expect to do something alive and active in your heart. Expect it to stir something in you. Listen, I don't preach to make God's word come alive. It is alive. All I'm trying to do is draw your attention to where it's alive. Which is why we spend the money and make the investment on giving you your scripture journals. It's why I say to you, look at that word. Because that's what's alive. Not what I'm saying to you. So look to God's word for life. 
It's there. It's living. It says that it's active in our hearts. It's able to pierce. It's able to pierce, to cut to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And what does that piercing do? It discerns. It's a piercing that discerns the thoughts and intentions of your heart. So as you come God's, God's word, expect it to work in you in a way of having you see things about yourself you didn't see before. To have aha moments where you go, oh, now I know why I've been thinking that way. Or now I know why I haven't been seeing things the right way. Or now I can actually see the motive, a motive in my heart that I didn't see before. Has that ever happened to you? That happens often. That's a big one for me. I read and I go, oh, man, it exposes why I do the things I do. It, it cuts in ways that I would never know if God's word wasn't there. To the point where the author of Hebrews and God say this, verse 13, that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed. I mean, I don't know what other language he could use to help us see that you should read God's word expecting to be exposed. Expecting to feel like somebody's reading right through you. <laughs> they know things about you that you didn't think they were going to know. That's what God's word is meant to do to us, to pierce the heart, to help us see even our sin more clearly, to feel so naked that we go, ouch. Oh, that describes me. Oh. But not just that. To open our eyes and we read it, we go, oh, wow, and look at the Savior who saved me. And that's what Jesus does when he gets to Luke 24 after his resurrection. He says this, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they must be fulfilled. So Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and says, I'm there. So the work that you should expect to encounter when you're in the Word of God is the work of seeing Jesus more clearly, of seeing the work of the Father, the work of the Spirit in ways you haven't before. For that to be exposed, for that to come to you, for you to receive it, and for it to work something in your soul, building your faith, helping you to trust Him more, helping you to actually encounter the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. That's the goal. The Word of God at work in you Maybe the opening of your soul to see Jesus in fresh ways. To have a clear vision of who he is and what he has done for you. But we need supernatural help for that, don't we? And that's why Jesus says here, then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. I'm just going to say this. I think I underestimate that. I think I overestimate that I have 40-some years of reading the Bible. Therefore, I don't really need as much eye-opening anymore. And it ain't true. It's not true for any of us. We need the Spirit of Christ to help us to see, to receive, to let the Word work in us. We need Him. We need Him. And this is why often, if you've heard me do this, I will pray before I preach, and I'll pray something along the lines of that God would help us to understand what we read because we need help to just mentally wrap our brain around some of these stories, right? Not just to believe it, or not just to understand it, but to believe it, that we'd not just read it and go, I understand now, but then to go, and I believe it's true. 
But part of believing isn't just saying, oh, it's true. It's loving its truth. It's loving that God would reveal himself that way to us. So we want to understand it, we want to believe it, and we want to love it, and then let it work in us. Apply it, whatever that looks like for us. Whatever appropriate way it is to respond to God's word, we want him to do that in us, but we need him. So my encouragement is as you read the word of God, as you receive it, to be ready for it to work. Don't underestimate its living power. Because it can revive you or give you joy, make you wise, enlighten your eyes, pierce your heart, expose your motives, and reveal Jesus to you. And this is why, since really day one of Christ Church, we've talked about reviewing and applying God's word. Reviewing and applying the Sunday messages. <clears throat> because we want to review and apply what is alive. Now, no other book, in case you didn't know this, is able to do what this book can do, no matter how good the book is. And I've got some really good books on my bookshelf. I love Jerry Bridges. I love Wayne Grudem. I've been reading a book by Liz Arrington on anxiety as a huge help. Elise Fitzpatrick, Sarah Haggerty. There are great books, outstanding authors, but you know what? They're not alive. They're not alive and active. They're not breathed out by God. But this book is. This book is breathed out by God. So when you think about all other books, I hope that there is a massive cavern between your thoughts about this book and any other book you ever pick up. Because there is no book like this book. None. So in your groups, I want to encourage you again to get into the living word and let the living word do its work in your lives. Let the word do the work. Let it change you. Let it do all the things that God wants it to do. Well, here in this church in Thessalonica, there was a specific thing God's word was doing. There's a specific thing, a specific way that it was working. And so let's look again, if you don't mind. Verse 14, I want to draw your eyes to what God's word says. So he finishes verse 13, which is at work in you believers for, the word for is a transition word. In other words, here are the ways that I see the word at work in you. And here's what he's going to address. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God. I'm going to stop there. Look at the four. For you suffered. They suffered. They endured suffering. Now I need you to jump down for a second to chapter 3 with me because he fills it out a little bit more here, and I'm just going to touch on it. Here's what he says in verse 3, chapter 3. Look, look at verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. And we sent Timothy, our brothers, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. So there we have that word again. Suffering, affliction. 
For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Good news this morning. I can to some degree predict your future. You are destined for affliction. Aren't you glad you came? It's a reality. You're destined for it. You will experience suffering. You will experience trials. You're going to experience dreams torn apart, heartache, disappointments, some that are minor, some that are earth-shattering, some that only last a little bit, and some that will impact you until the day you die. And so what Paul is saying here is that the word of God was at work in them in such a way that according to chapter 3, verse 3, they were not moved by them. They weren't shaken. They weren't rocked apart when their world fell apart. They weren't moved. And why? Because the word of God was at work in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is how they were not moved. I think the answer to the question of how do we then survive affliction unmoved is to spend time taking in the word of God, receiving it as the word of God, and then letting it work in us what it needs to work. So let's ask you this morning, to what degree is that your experience? How are you dealing with the suffering and the trials and the heartache? I think sometimes maybe the degree to which I'm moved and shaken by trials reveals how much I'm letting the word work in my heart. It seems to be that's what God is telling us here. And the more that I have God's word working in my heart, the more that I'm able to not be moved when stuff goes wrong and stuff will go wrong. Does that make sense? So the word's got to work. And I think that's what he's saying here is let the word work. And I love how he words it here. He says it's almost... I've experienced this, but at first read, it almost seems a little bit strange. When he says back in chapter 3, verse 14, or chapter 2, verse 14, that for you know that they became imitators of the people in other churches as they imitated Christ. It's almost as if I were to give this word to you, and you were to start reading it and loving it and applying it, and then I'm going to go halfway around the world and give the same book to another group of people to live it and to enjoy it and to figure it out. And then somehow to have you guys cross paths and go, wow, we are a lot alike. It's almost like that. No, it's exactly like that. They had never met. They get people in one church far away they've never met who are suffering. Paul met them. He sees this church, they're all suffering, and they're responding not moved. And he goes, hey, have you guys been talking? No, but they both had the same power source. They both had the word of God, and they both had the spirit. So at the end of the day, they looked similar. Not exactly, but they looked similar in that they were unmoved during suffering. They were unmoved in trials. So let me just ask you, to what degree are you moved by suffering and affliction? Now, I'm grateful that I've known a lot of you in this room for five years, ten years, couple of you I've known for 25, 25 years, 20 years at least, and I can say I've seen this in you. I can say that I joined Paul in verse 13 where he says, we thank God constantly for this. 
I can say that about many of you in this room. I thank God for you because I've watched you walk through terrible things and difficult things unmoved. Yes, discouraged, yes, fighting for faith, but unmoved because you've let the word of God work in you. I've watched many of you walk through major disappointments, terrible health issues, relational issues, death of family members, job loss, discouragement, on and on. And I've watched so many of you do it unmoved, with faith, with joy, with trust in your hearts for God. And so I thank God for you. Tyler Jordan, I thank God for you and your example as we watch you not be moved as you're established in your faith. And I can even join Paul, and I believe I will someday, when he says in verse 19, for what is our hope? I honestly believe this. What is my hope and joy and crown of boasting before the Lord when he comes? It's you. It's you. It's seeing how God has worked in your life. How have you received God's word as God's word and have tried with all you can to live it the way that God wants you to live it so that you can endure the trials? So, may we, Christ Church family, live with Jesus through his word, receiving it as God's word, letting it work in us as God's word as we wait for Jesus to return. Amen? do it. Let's keep pressing into God through his word. I'm going to pray this for us and give you just a minute. You can journal, encourage you during this time. If there's a special place that you love to live in God's word, just to go there for a minute, just draw a little strength for your soul, and then Tyler's going to have a stand and we're going to sing. So let's take a minute to reflect on God's word, ask the spirit to help us to see what he wants us to see from this passage, and then we'll sing. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my friends. And I pray, Holy Spirit, even right now, as we just take a minute to sit and think that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us. And God, whatever little tiny piece of your word that you want to work into each one of our hearts right now, I pray you would do it. Spirit, bring to mind a specific scripture in each one of our hearts that just for a minute we could let work in us so that we can experience right now what you want to experience, what you want us to experience as your word works in us. And so do that, I pray. Meet us. Speak to us, I pray.
spot and melt sing Jesus Jesus paid it all all to him I owe sin had left a crimson stain he washed in
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning. And as we go to God's Word, we see pretty clearly that we are to do this in remembrance of Him. And He tells us as often as we eat or drink, we do it to proclaim His death, remembering and proclaiming. And I love it that God created something called the Lord's Supper so that we could use all of our senses this morning as we take the Lord's Supper. You can see the bread. You can hear it. You can taste it. Smell it. It incorporates all of our being, and I love that. And so this morning, what we're going to do as we remember and proclaim the Lord's death is we're going to we can go up front. Uh, there's cups. You can dip your bread in the wine or the juice and bring it back to your seat. We're going to eat together. But as you're doing that, I want you just to be thinking about what Jesus did for you. And I want you to let all of your senses get involved. Sometimes I think God's word can seem one-dimensional. It's not. It's alive. And here God takes a way to make it so that we are allowed to encounter his resurrection and his death in a way that entices all of our senses at one time. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, we'll sing again in a second. But if you want to start, there's... Uh, bread and wine on both sides here. And then on the back table is gluten-free. So you can go back there and get some gluten-free. Let's go ahead and get, um, let's get the, the bread and bring it back to your seats and then we'll take it together.
gospel truth of God shall not deal nor fame but his blood in his name in his freedom I am freed for the love Jesus Christ who has resurrected me praise the Father Praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Sing praise. Jesus, we, we pause right now to remember what you have done for us. To remember your broken body. To remember your shed blood. So that when you died, Jesus, we died so that we don't have to pay the penalty any longer. We remember that. And even as we eat, we're proclaiming it to be true. Jesus, as we eat the bread right now, as we, as we taste the wine, we proclaim, Jesus, that you are the Savior and that you are our Savior and that we trust you put all of our hope and confidence in you and in your righteousness and not in ours. And so strengthen your church as we partake of food, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, strengthen our faith, strengthen our believing that we might endure whatever this week